Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Fact is, I missed this shot. I walk away, I'm still a chunk. Here's Andrew. Welcome to Saturday Slammin' Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. This is our first episode as part of the Athletic NBA show. We are super excited to host this show. It's me and my co-host, Alex Spears. Alex, I'm going to throw to you, and we're just going to talk about the week that was in the NBA. Andrew, thank you so much. This is Alex, a.k.a. Al Baby Cakes on Twitter. And what a week it was, Andrew. It all started last Friday night when Anthony Edwards, Ant-Man, not only gave us the dunk of the year over Utah Watanabe, but also inspired a tweet that may end up being just as well remembered. (laughs) On Saturday night, Draymond Green received two technicals and was ejected in the final moments of the Warriors game against the Hornets, leaving the door open for scary Terry Rozier to hit the game-tying free throws and game-winning three. On Sunday... The Timberwolves fired head coach Ryan Saunders and following a lengthy coaching search that lasted nearly 1,500 minutes, they signed Raptors assistant coach Chris Finch to a long-term deal. All-star reserves were announced on Tuesday night with a record-setting 43 snubs, most in league history. Also on Tuesday night, Luka hit back-to-back threes in the final 15 seconds to hand the Boston Celtics a seventh loss in their last 10 games. Luca didn't have the only game winner, however, as Lugens Dort! Dort! <laughs> Dort! Sunk his first game winner on Wednesday night as the Thunder topped the Spurs in OKC. And finally, Andrew, just a week after a better placed a $10,000 bet on the Wizards, the Washington Wizards, to win the NBA championship, the Wizards finished a four-game road trip on Thursday night, going 3-1 and one with wins over the Blazers, Lakers, and Nuggets. What a week! Unbelievable. And we'll talk more Wizards later, but I think I texted you at the beginning of the week, if they get one of these, it's a good week for the Wizards. Exactly. And it turned out to be a great week. Now, with all of those things happening, Andrew, I think we need to decide what was the most interesting thing that happened not the greatest not the best not the most important but the thing that was most interesting to us that occurred over the past week so we're each going to nominate something for the most interesting thing of the week and then we'll let the fans decide what they thought or maybe they'll suggest another one so what was yours what was the most interesting thing that happened this week I think the most interesting and the most significant thing that happened this week is that the Brooklyn Nets have established themselves as a title contender I think that we saw the trade, the James Harden trade. It's like, oh, that's really cool. Can they make this work? And they have proven over this last week that, yes, they can make it work. And they are just pummeling teams. Uh, And they're not even playing good defense for the entire game. I found a really strange stat that they are sixth in defense in the first half of games in the NBA. In the second half, they are last, dead last, (laughs) not even close. Some of it could be garbage time, like, like Orlando, I mean, they have they may have sent the Orlando Magic down to the G League bubble. It was so bad. It was just a horrific performance by the Magic and just a wonderful performance by the Nets. I feel th- this Nets team, some of it 
feels a little strange because they've just kind of thrown all these stars together, but they have these characters built in like a Jeff Green, who is just kind of a lovable guy and a Bruce Brown, who's playing such a strange role. He's six foot three and he's basically their center on offense. Uh, They're, to me, they're a creative, kind of fun team. You get to see a different side of James Harden that we haven't seen really probably since OKC and maybe really never. They're kind of a, a lovable bunch, and I really like watching them play. It's pretty unbelievable because Kevin Durant has only played once in the last nine games, and Brooklyn yep. is 7-2 and two during that stretch. And what that stretch was was a six-game West Coast road trip that included wins against Golden State, Phoenix, the Lakers, the Clippers. They were undefeated in that six-game stretch, much of it without KD. And you mentioned that the most significant thing about them was that they've solidified their their kind of status as a title contender. I might even go as far to say that they are now the title favorite. I was looking on betmgm.com. They are now – they have the best odds to win the East at plus 150. And they are now only second to the Lakers in in terms of odds to win the NBA championship. Lakers are plus 280, and the Nets are now plus 300. They're right on their tail, and I kind of agree with it. (laughs) I do too. What you need to win the title, and this has been proven year over year over year, is really good dominant perimeter scores, and they've got three of them. And one of them in Kevin Durant is maybe the best of all time, and they haven't even had him. And the Anthony Davis stuff is certainly questionable. There, There's a lot of turmoil in Los Angeles right now with the way that the big men have been performing. There's a lot of Lakers fans that are upset with Marcus Gasol. Uh, Montrez Harrell has played less since Anthony Davis went out. Uh, they're having some issues there. A lot of it is injury. A lot of it is that they're missing Anthony Davis, which you can't undercut. Uh, also missing Dennis Schroeder, who we know is, has been a really good def- defender and a great offensive player. So they miss those guys. But the talent level is undeniable, and they seem to have some of the glue guys that they've always had uh, with the Nets. Joe Harris, to me, is one of the big difference makers. We're going to... I, th- I think you might be mentioning a team like Boston, but Boston's missing a guy like a Joe Harris. They're missing yeah. a guy like a Bruce Brown that just come in and they play their role. They know exactly what they're supposed to do. And some people talk about like upgrading a spot for the Nets and maybe trading a Joe Harris. No, you can't trade Joe Harris. He's To me, he's one of the reasons that this continues to work because his shooting has just been completely lights out. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, if you were going to if you're going to like poo poo this run a little bit, I mean, you could theoretically say, hey, we've seen this before. We know that if you put James Harden and give him the ball and surround him with shooters, never mind that one of those shooters happens to be Kyrie Irving. Right. You're going to win 55 games every single season and you're going to be amazing in the regular season. Is that really giving us any insight into what is going to happen in the playoffs? And I kind of agree with that. But on the one hand, like they are playing amazing against the best teams in the league right now. They are 11 Mm -hmm. and three against teams that are 500 or better, best in the NBA. But the big difference between those Houston Rockets teams is we no longer have to rely on James Harden in the playoffs. Yeah. He can be that facilitator. And we now have two proven playoff commodities in Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, two of the best playoff performers we've seen. And so that's what makes me more excited about the Brooklyn Nets and more willing 
to consider them as the title favorites. Yeah. And I think they'll get better. I think they'll, I think they'll make a smaller trade at the deadline uh, to get a good player. Mike Muscala was linked to them by Bobby Marks at ESPN. Uh, and also, I think they, they have a chance to get whoever's bought out. Whoever's bought out, that's a, and especially if it's a big guy, that's a very favorable situation to go to where they can, you can see yourself winning a title. Now, to me, the only challenger in the Eastern Conference is the Philadelphia 76ers. And they are, in some ways, just the exact opposite of this team. Uh, they play good defense and they have a dominant big man in Joel Embiid. And can the dominant big man beat this kind of team that doesn't have anybody that really defends? I mean, Kevin Durant is probably the guy. I know DeAndre Jordan will, will take minutes on Joel. But closing the game, who is defending Joel Embiid? And if it's a close game, they're going to try to go to Joel. And it's it gets harder and harder to go to big men as the game goes on and as you get into crunch time. But uh, Joel's been different. He's been Shaq-like this season. He's been unbelievable. And so I wonder uh, what that kind of matchup looks like. And I hope we get to see it. Yeah, me too. And you know, when you think about what could these other teams in the East do at this point, you know, the, the one rumor that came out in the last week that I thought was interesting was Keith Pompey, who's a beat writer for the Sixers, reported that a source said that Kyle Lowry would like to be in Philly. The yeah. source believes the Sixers and the Raptors might be able to get something done. But if it came to that, Toronto would most likely want some picks, young players, and veterans with expiring contracts. Now, you put Lowry on the Sixers, all of a sudden, like, the, the already great defense of the Philadelphia 76ers goes up a level. Yeah. Now you have Joel Embiid, you have Ben Simmons, you're bringing Matisse Thibel off the bench, you got Kyle Lowry. I don't, I still don't know if that's good enough to beat the Brooklyn Nets, but it would be really interesting. Bring it on. He's a Philly guy originally. It would be Bring awesome. Bring it on. I would love that. That's that's the kind of move that we need at the top of the East because there, are, I think there's four teams right now in the East that are above 500. Is that right? It's, the it's, fourth, on, it's either three four or three. <laughs> I think it's it's actually it's three. I looked at it this morning. I'm remembering now. Three teams are above 500. Three. Let's just stack the deck at the top because we're not getting anything from these lower teams. We, we have to. We have to do something. <laughs> we are desperate here. Uh, but that's my most interesting thing of this week is that I, I thought they could get to the finals. I think after they made the Harden trade, uh, I picked them to go to the finals on our Thunder podcast, Down to Dunk. But now I feel very good about them getting there and having a chance to actually win it. I don't disagree. However, that was not my most interesting thing of the week. My nomination is the sputtering Boston Celtics. They're currently 15 and 17, two games below 500. Ninth in the Eastern Conference. Ninth. Play-in. A play-in team. Play-ins. A playoff team. A play-in team. (laughs) Play-ins. They've recently lost eight of 11 games. And just to give you kind of a inside look into what's going on with the Celtics. Let's read some quotes. Brad Stevens on the Celtics recent struggles. I was just telling my wife, I had a root canal and my identity stolen last week. And I think those were two of my better days in the last eight days. <laughs> that was the coach. Then Danny Ainge, he appeared on a uh, 98.5, the sports Hub, And he said, we don't have much resolve at this time. It's a lack of confidence and belief in each other. Most of the players are pointing the fingers at themselves. 
that they need to do better. The other it's thing, just of course, sad. that just feels sad to me. <laughs> that was very sad. It's now, me, to Danny, I'm doing it. To Danny Ainge's credit, he did say like, "It's my fault," which I do feel like is a great tactic to put put it on yourself. But I think it's true. We can get to that in a minute. But I do yeah. believe it's true. But yeah, anytime you can say "my bad," like <laughs> it buys you a little time. Now, <laughs> he also did his yearly thing where he said, "It's rare that trades get done." not close to the deadline. We're talking and we're trying to do some things. We've been close a couple times. We've been close a couple times. One of his favorite quotes, a yearly tradition with Danny Ainge. Now, why is this interesting to me that the Celtics have been sputtering? A few reasons. First, this is occurring during absolutely incredible years for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who are both Mm -hmm. named to the all-star team this week in the East. They are exactly what every team is looking for. Two-way wings under the age of 25 who are both probably going to make the all-NBA teams this year. So in some respects, like Danny Ainge has already done the hardest part. He's gotten Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Yeah. And these guys have already proven themselves to be legit playoff guys. They've been to the Eastern Conference Finals. So it's interesting for that reason. Second reason why I find it really interesting is that there's really one clear path to reconfiguring this roster And that, of course, is the traded player exception, the giant TPE, $28.5 million that they got in the Gordon Hayward deal. This is interesting because Ainge has sort of painted himself into a corner, not just because it is their main way to get someone in, but also because we know what the alternative was. We actually know, because it's been reported so many times at this point, that they could have had Miles Turner and Doug McDermott. And so anything that happens with this TPE, we are going to be able to compare to that alternative. And that's just usually not the case. It has, it has to be better, right? It has to. That, that's why I, I know a lot of Thunder fans are drawing the line of, oh, Al Horford makes a ton of sense there. They, they simply can't do it because it's not better than Miles Turner and Doug McDermott. <laughs> it has to be better. And so I, I find that fascinating because like Danny yeah. Ainge has to do something with this. It's got to be, yes, yes. So, so the two questions way. is, one, are they going to use it? I would, I would think we would both say they, they have better. to. They have to. <laughs> but the second question is, there's more interesting. When are they going to use it? Because yeah. there's some thought like, is this team actually good enough to warrant making a big in-season move? And Danny Ainge was actually asked this question. And he said, those are legitimate questions that I don't have the answers for right now. But I will Mm -hmm. say that this is a me problem. And then Keith Smith on Twitter said, Ainge said that using the Gordon Hayward TPE could be best used in the offseason versus at the deadline. Ainge talked about how a big deal is easier in the offseason for a lot of reasons, such as the hard cap, roster size, and that he won't use it now and jeopardize using it later. That's really fascinating to me because... So many Boston fans know what they have in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They know what they're used to these past few years in terms of playoff success. So the idea that you would wait to use that TPE until the offseason and basically just kind of throw this season to the wolves and see what happens is really interesting to me. Yeah. And some people are like, oh, I think this means they want Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal's contract is just that much bigger (laughs) Than the TPE. I think his contract is 28.7. The TPE is 28.5. Oh, that's a killer. That's a killer. Because (laughs) if you just said, okay, 
We'll take Bradley Beal into the TPE. We'll give you pretty much you can own us in the draft for the next yeah. however long you would like. You can have all of it. And we'll we'll kick the can as far down the road as you like. Uh, just give us Bradley Beal. And I think that would make sense, but they can't do that. So, Alex, what what are they going to use this on that makes well, it worth it? Let me give you some targets. I did some I did some researching, and these are some of the names that people have thrown out, both yeah. national people and and Boston people. Mm-hmm. Stop me if any of them like really get you excited. Mm-hmm. Aaron Gordon. I'm Matt. kind of excited about that. I will stop you there. Okay. He. I think that in a better situation, we have seen magic players get better in a better situation. And he is a crazy athlete. I think he's a good passer. I think as the third best player, I like that. I think he's been miscast over and over again as the first best player. And then he's been surpassed by guys like Vucevic. I'd like to see him in a different situation. I'd like to see him with a really good defensive coach like Brad Stevens and see if they can kind of unlock some things with Aaron Gordon. So I would be okay with that. Is that better than Miles Turner, though, is the question that I ask myself. And I think maybe? Maybe. You you Uh, could sell it. You could sell it. Yeah, you could sell that one. Okay, so we're one for one. Let me go through some other names. Harrison Barnes. Mm -mm. Nothing. Andrew's shaking his head. Buddy Heald. Mm -mm. What about John Collins? Collins is interesting, but they big guys is is not what they lack. It's what they have too many of, right? They they do have a lot of big guys. I mean, I don't know if they're necessarily happy with any of them. I mean, I think we would all prefer seeing Miles Turner over any of them. But yes, Without they do. Have, doubt. They do have a lot of big men on the roster. Uh, what about yeah. we already kind of mentioned them, Al Horford and or George Hill. You yeah, can't I do mean, both for the TPA, but if you could do a separate deal. Yeah, I think Horford makes a ton of sense for what they want to do. Now, I don't know about just sliding him into the TPE, but I I think he definitely makes some sense. But I, man, I, I don't think it's good enough. I don't think Al Horford is good enough. He's older. They had already decided they didn't want to pay him that contract and then to be tail between yeah. your legs, be like, all right, come back, Al. That'd be I, rough. I, I don't, I think there's a lot of pride to swallow there. And I also, but I do think he would make them a lot better. Does he make them a title contender? I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, it's, it's possible that he does, but to me, you'd have to send something back, some kind of big man back, maybe a Tristan Thompson back to OKC with an asset. I think that that would make some sense uh, just because, I mean, right now that they, they, what they really need is wings and, that's the that's the tough part is that you just can't find a wing. You just can't go find a wing. Uh, I, d- I have wondered about maybe a Tristan Thompson for a Trevor Ariza trade because uh, mm. I do think that Ariza is going to go somewhere. And I think that Ariza would help them a lot. I think that I think they have eight players that have a 14 or above PER right now on the Celtics, and four of them are centers. Mm. Uh, which is not tenable. <laughs> right. To me, they reminded me a little bit of what Boston or what Philly went through last year, where they had these two uber talented players and Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and they just picked the exact wrong players to play with them. And I feel like there's similar stuff going on in Boston is that they have these uber talented wings. Wonderful. They just don't have anybody surrounding them that is going to genuinely help boost their games. 
so I think that that is one of the biggest problems. I think Daniel Tice has been good. Obviously, Marcus Smart out with injury. I'd also compare, not to make too many OKC references, but remember when Andre Robertson went out in 2018? Yeah. And the Thunder just lost all semblance of who they were. And everybody's like, Andre Robertson can't be this important. And now people are saying, Marcus Smart can't be this important. But the truth is, sometimes these defenders that defend at the highest level in the NBA matter so much to these squads, not only with energy and effort, but whoever is replacing them is maybe half as good or even less than that. So to me, that is a huge deal. And I I know that people don't want to settle for the answer that Marcus Smart can't be this important, but I'd argue that he actually could be. He actually could be this important to their defense and what they're doing. And he's a guy that's going to take shots. And he's yeah. going to make shots. And he's been very helpful to them in so many ways. Uh, I do think that there's maybe an aspect of people not wanting to use that as an excuse. But it's there. That's definitely a thing. And the other two names were PJ Tucker and Thad Young, which, again, going back to the uh, Miles Turner <laughs> issue, it's like, is that really what your move's going to be? Yeah, that Both those rough. guys would help. Both those guys would definitely help. But is that going to be the big move? Um, and the other, the other thing about trading, you know, bringing someone into that TPE is you're likely going to have to give up some type of asset to get anyone worth anything of value. Mm-hmm. And unlike every previous year, Boston doesn't really have a war chest anymore. I was looking yeah. at their future draft picks. They have four incoming seconds, two of which are fake seconds. They're top 55 protected. So they basically have two seconds extra going forward. They have their own picks. And they haven't traded one of their own picks in forever. I tried to go back and look because, you know, they traded in the, in the, they traded the Colin Sexton pick when they got Kyrie Irving. But of course that was a Brooklyn pick. They traded a Cleveland pick when they originally got Isaiah Thomas. I think the last time they traded one of their own picks was actually that Nets Celtics trade where they sent a late first that became Kyle Kuzma. So it's been a while for them to actually be willing to give up one of their own picks. And it seems like they're Mm -hmm. getting to a point where they're going to have to do that to bring in someone good. Yeah, I think they're going to have to. And also, it's probably better that they do because Danny Ainge has been missing on these late round draft picks anyways. Well, okay, so that was the other thing I find interesting. And this is more big picture about Celtics. You know, back when that trade happened, Celtics and Nets, it was kind of an anomaly we hadn't really seen a trade like that where a team basically trades its entire future to, to get a couple players in that type of trade is now becoming much more commonplace. We saw right. it with Paul George, of the Clippers. We've seen it with the Pelicans and Anthony Davis and even drew holiday to some extent. We've seen it with the Houston Rockets and the Brooklyn Nets this year. Yep. So I'm starting to wonder what lessons can we learn from what the Celtics went through these past years? Because I do think there's something to be said about when you have so many mid to late first round picks, all those guys are exciting when you draft them and you're high on them and you want to develop them. And there is an opportunity cost of filling the back end of your roster with all of these young guys you're trying to develop at the expense of maybe bringing in a random guy like a Jeff Green who might be able to help you. Like like no one that Mm -hmm. exciting, but just guys who you know are NBA players versus guys who are rookies or second years that you're desperately trying to develop fast. Yeah. I mean, who who has developed 
on the Celtics. That's a late round pick. I mean, Grant, Grant Williams has been okay. He's been he hasn't played a ton of minutes as of late. Uh, Romeo Langford was one of their last uh, like late lottery picks that they picked, and he's been mostly injured the, his career. Uh, Peyton Pritchard has been kind of fun. Yeah. But other than that, it's been pretty rough. And Robert Williams is one of the guys that Celtics fans are clamoring for that probably was a good pick, but they just don't have the minutes for him. They don't have the slot for him because they do have all these good big men. So it'll be interesting to see going forward with some of these other teams. Do they look at what the Celtics did and say, we have to consolidate some of these picks? Even if it seems in the moment that we're losing a little bit of value, we need to consolidate these picks, both to free up roster spaces, but also just to hone in on these specific guys that we want to develop instead of trying to develop six to seven guys every single year. Yeah. I think you maybe need one or two to develop on your bench. And the OKC has ran into this problem before. We saw it. I mean, when they had the Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden teams, and they had all these guys kind of backfilling, like the Jeremy Lambs and the Perry Jones and the Reggie Jacksons. Like Reggie worked out. That's one of them that worked out. But Jeremy Lamb has gone on to have a really nice career. And he couldn't he couldn't hack it in OKC because I, I don't think that he uh, was able to learn through all the growing pains that he had to go through on the back end of the roster. Now, as negative as we've been in closing about the Celtics, I do think there are some valid excuses. And to, to find out what those excuses are, I went to the Celtics subreddit. Because if you're looking for excuses, the fans are going to have them, right? Oh, yeah. So I want to shout out a few users, a few Reddit users on Celtics subreddit who brought up some good points. For instance, user Brad Wonder said they've played 14 games in 23 days. Much of this due to some of the COVID tracing. They had three games postponed that had to yep. be rescheduled. That's legitimate. User Safe Hogwarts said that Kemba, Smart, Jalen, and Tatum have played 28 total minutes together this season. Yikes. That's pretty amazing because That's, that is definitely that is their definitely best four players. a thing. I will accept that one. I will okay, accept you like it. the other one. one? The other one, everybody's going through it. That's true. That's true. Everybody's going through this horrible season of just obviously just a money making season for the NBA and a let's save the NBA season. And then the last one from Larbird 33. This team made the Eastern Conference Finals last season and their eight man rotation in the playoffs was Tatum Brown, Smart Kemba, Daniel Tice, Brad Wanamaker, Time Lord, and Grant. Hayward only played five of those 17 games. The only guy not on the team anymore is Brad Wanamaker that was really a core part of that playoff run. Do we just need to give this team some time? Like The, the pieces are there. You could, ar- you could argue that Peyton Pritchard is an upgrade over Brad Wanamaker. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's a decent excuse, or at least a, a reason to maybe calm down the panic a little bit. Yeah. I don't know about that one. <laughs> okay, all right. I don't well. know how I feel about that one. <laughs> well, you but accepted I think, one of them. Yeah, I accept one of them. I also think that this team, similar to what Philly had to do, where they reset and they got the right players around the team, they could do that this next offseason and come back and be the best team in the Eastern Conference. Like, would anybody be surprised if by the end of next season that the Celtics are the best team in the Eastern Conference? I would not. I would not be surprised. They have the top-level talents already. You said it earlier. They've done the hard part. They need to go and surround them with guys that make sense around them and not Tristan Thompson, Daniel Tice, who play together all the time. Right. I agree. So those were our two nominations for the most interesting thing that happened this week. 
Let us know what you think. Andrew, before we go to the next segment, I've got a game for you. It's time to have a birthday party. Andrew, we've had a lot of birthdays this week in the league, and it's time to celebrate them. You're a fan of birthdays, right, Andrew? I love birthdays. Nothing better than a birthday. In fact, you were telling me earlier that you send a tweet to every player in the NBA on their birthday wishing them a happy birthday. Is that correct? <laughs> it's true. It's yeah. it's an alt account, but I do. I do spend most of my morning looking at B-Days. You were telling me that you have over 400 alarms on your phone for every single player's birthday right. to remind you. I think that's really cool. So to celebrate these birthdays, we're going to play a little game, and I encourage the listeners to play along with us. I'm going to give you the names of two NBA players who had birthdays in the past week. You are going to tell me which player is younger, and we'll see how many you get right. And Andrew, I do not want this to be a thing where you think about it too much. This is about feel. Who feels younger without even thinking about it? Okay, are you ready? I'm closing my eyes. All right, go. First one, D'Angelo Russell, Devontae Graham. Devontae Graham feels younger, but I believe it's D'Angelo Russell. That is correct. D'Angelo Russell turns 25 this week. Devontae Graham turned 26. Wow. All right. Devontae Graham, fake young. Fake young guy. One for one. Next, Andrew Wiggins, Fred Van Vliet. This feels like another tricky one where Van Vliet, I, I feel like I know way more about Wiggins. I feel like I've seen more Wiggins, but I would say Van Vliet is younger. That is incorrect. Andrew Wiggins turned 26 this week. Happy birthday, Andrew. And Fred Van Leet turned 27. Okay. Okay. Still young, Van Leet. He's got got his whole career ahead of him. Just entering his prime. Next, Jamal Murray, Jerome Robinson. (laughs) A weird one. (laughs) Jerome Robinson better be younger. He better be. Well, Andrew, I didn't even tell you this was a possibility, but now you know. They are the exact same age. Oh! They both turned 24 this week. Jamal Murray and Jerome Robinson. All right, you're only one for three. Ooh, this game is better than I thought. I thought this might be too easy. (laughs) Okay, two more. Alfred Payton, Mario Hazonia. Oh, what a weird one. What a very weird one. Does Hazonia even count? Yes, he does. Um, I'll say Hazonia is younger. That is correct. Two for four. Mario Hazonia turned 26 this week. Alfred Payton turned 27. And finally, Andrew, we're jumping in the time machine. Who is younger, Tom Van Arsdale or Dick Van Arsdale? (laughs) I'll take Tom. Well, Andrew, if you thought about it a little longer, you might have suspected that they are twins. They were (laughs) born on the same day. And they both turned 78 this week. Now, listen to this. Dick and Tom were both Indiana Hoosiers who were drafted with consecutive picks in the 1965 NBA draft. Both made the all-rookie team. Both were three-time All-Stars. Dick's nickname is the original Sun, S-U-N, because he was the first player in Phoenix Suns franchise history. And they were the first set of twins to ever play on the same NBA team. Wow. So happy birthday to Tom and Dick. <laughs> this this feels like a, a Morris twin situation. Just they were the precursor. The yeah. Yeah. Wow. Who knew? Who knew? Alex, we're going to take a quick break, but after this break, we're going to welcome in our guest of the week. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, 
and his wife Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out, birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. All right, welcome to our weekly segment, The Wheel of Fandom. As any NBA fan knows, there's nothing better than when a national NBA podcast spends a few minutes devoted to your team. Whether it's because your team is playing amazing or looking like absolute garbage, it doesn't matter. It's just nice when someone else is paying attention to your team. And that is the goal of Wheel of Fandom. Every week, Andrew and I will spin a wheel, currently a digital wheel, hopefully a physical wheel one day, with the name of every NBA team on it. Whatever team that wheel lands on, Andrew and I will become fans of that team for the next week. We will watch their games. We will read the articles. We will travel to the subreddit. We will become super fans for a week and report back to you our findings and our questions. And to help us answer those questions, we'll bring on a beat writer for that team. For week one, the Wheel of Fandom chose the Washington Wizards. And if it chose the Washington Wizards, who does that mean our guest is today, Andrew? It's got to be our guy, Fred Katz. Fred, what's up? I, I can't believe, you know, I've been wondering what the hell happened to the Wizards two weeks ago. And I think <laughs> now we know. It's the I Wheel think of the Fandom. We, the wheel landed on them. <laughs> And that's, was, that's what happens. The basketball been, gods it, have chosen the Wizards in every way. Right. It has been a strange journey where it's like, oh, okay, a team that no one really cares about to like, wow, everybody was watching the Wizards in the last like two minutes of the game last night. Just, you must have been like, oh, crap. The Wizards, we got to get rid You must have considered getting rid of this segment right off the bat. Well, it was interesting because they, they were coming into the week on a three-game winning streak. But then we looked at their schedule and it was at Portland, at the Lakers, at the Clippers mm -hmm. and at the Nuggets. And I sent it to Andrew and he was like, that's one game if they're lucky. Yeah. If it's a good week, it's one. <laughs> they get one. <laughs> yep. Nope. They won three. And the one they lost was like 
totally, you know, back second night of a back to back against maybe the champs, uh, you know, the the incoming champs, not defending champs. And uh, actually, they they lost by 19, but like played fine. They played yeah. fine. It's the definition of a schedule loss. Yeah. Like a normal NBA team does. Yeah. They're, that's the thing. They're they're Maybe that's the take. They're like, they went from being, oh, the, the Wizards. And now they're just like, they're doing normal NBA team things now. Yeah. Uh, which so Fred, is one incredible. Thing, one, one thing we want to ask every beat writer that, that comes on is, what are your mentions like? So over the course of this past week, what have your Washington Wizards mentions been like? You know, I'm a bad person to ask that question to because my New Year's resolution was to not look at my mentions. <laughs> That's a good call. That's actually <laughs> a great call. <laughs> that was my New Year's resolution this year. So like on my tweet deck, I dragged my mentions all the way to the other side. Yep. Like it's the last column. And every once in a while, I delve into them. And every once in a while, I look at the mentions on a specific tweet. But I try not to look at anything. I I... I imagine they're still incredibly toxic because this is Twitter. So I'm sure they're still an absolute dumpster fire. Well, uh, Fred, we have a few questions for you. One that I want to know is that we know that every other fan base in the NBA is obsessed with the idea of a Bradley Beal trade, despite no indications from the Wizards or Beal or anyone covering the team that that is happening anytime soon. I was wondering... How do Wizards fans feel about this long-term decision to either keep or move Bradley Beal? Is there a sizable trade Beal camp? There, I I would say there are Wizards fans who exist who believe they should trade Beal because they're just kind of, I'm going to call them NBA realists. And they look at the team and they see the 6 and 17 start. I guess now the 12 and 18 start after they just won six out of their last seven. And and they they say, well, this team is still playing 400 ball and Beal is a free agent in a year and a half. And the way the NBA works is that star players who are good enough to lead the league in scoring like Beal is doing right now, don't re-sign with teams who have losing records. It just doesn't happen. There's no history of it. They end up either asking for a trade or they end up leaving or they just end up out in some capacity. So make the trade now and start your rebuild. rebuild. I, I think there's also some section of fan that's, I, and this is a very large section, maybe the majority, that's that's kind of over the Wizards' philosophy of, cha- you know, they're one of the teams that's always chased the eighth seed as opposed to, you know, let's bottom out and do it that right. way. They've, they've kind of always chased the eighth seed. And, and I think there's a good amount of fans who are very over that philosophy and kind of just want, okay, Tank, if you can trade Beal for a ton of picks or a ton of young players. If you can call up golden state and I'm making this up, if you can call up golden state and you can get Wiseman and the Minnesota pick, and then all of a sudden you're rebuilding with Wiseman and whoever you draft with that Minnesota pick and whoever you draft with your own pick this year, which would be a high one and Hachimura and Abdiya, and you got a nice young core and then you move forward with that. There are definitely a lot of fans who believe that that should be the case. That being said, I think this is true for any fan base. They've got the guy who's leading the league in scoring, who's a homegrown player, who's 27 years old, and who says he wants to stay. So when that happens, the majority of the fan base is going to be like, no, like we 
We want to keep the homegrown guy who's leading the league in scoring, who's a likable personality, and who outwardly says he wants to stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I think if you polled fans, just because of how fans think, they would say they want to keep Beal. But the, I would say there's like you know like the uh, Andrew refers to it as smart NBA Twitter. I think the Wizards fans who are part of smart NBA Twitter are like, uh, nah, tear it down. You got to tank. It's the <laughs> <Yep>. only way, <laughs> and that's what you got to do. Yeah, and I don't necessarily disagree with them, but after watching Beal all this week, he is one of the most delightful characters in the NBA, and that's that's on and off the court. Uh, he's got a very emotional face where you can always see what he's feeling, which is to me is just a great characteristic of a person. I just I just love Beal, uh, and with that said, they're likely going to continue to try to build around him. Are the Wizards going to be buyers at the deadline? And if so, are there like popular guys that Wizards fans want? You know, it's crazy because I I don't really know yet. Like I feel like for most teams, we have some kind of inclination to whether or not they're going to be buyers. And I feel like the Wizards are one of the you know buyers or sellers or just kind of stay putters. And a great term I just made up and <laughs> the wizards, the wizards are one of the hardest teams I think in the league to, to figure it out. And we're what we're like four weeks out of the deadline now. And the, the wizards are so difficult to figure out in part because of like that aforementioned philosophy where they want to go after that playoff spot. And I think the play in tournament has now given hopes to so many extra teams and there are so many teams like the Wizards of the world, like the Hornets of the world, those sorts of organizations who would rather get the 10 seed than, you know, take a risk in the lottery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I could see, the, they're, look, they're objectively playing really well. It's not like they've won six in a row and they've played, the wins have come over the six worst teams in the league. They won, you guys mentioned that they won at Denver, they won at the Lakers, they won at Portland. They beat Boston at home. They beat Denver at home. So they've beaten mm-hmm. Denver twice in this stretch. Uh, they they beat Houston, who is obviously not playing well, but there were a lot of emotions in that game too because that was the John Wall return game to D.C. Basically, every win, and Boston's not playing great, but basically every one of these wins have been relatively impressive. I mean, they were up 20-something on Boston. It's not like they barely squeaked it out, you know? Um, so... It kind of depends on how they are moving forward. If yeah. they are, if they continue to play incredibly well, I I could see them going out and saying, "All right, our struggles are defense, three point shooting, and maybe if it's possible, go out there and get a center." Even though they literally have three centers, but they don't really have a starting caliber guy. And so I could see them adding reinforcements in any of those areas. And I could see them kind of taking some of the young guys who are on the bench and don't really play and trying to use a vet, you know, swap those guys out for a veteran, like a Bonga, like a Troy Brown, someone like that. Um, If they kind of play to the way they were at the start of the year and they fall back off, I could see them saying, okay, Robin Lopez, veteran with one year left. Ish Smith, veteran with one year left. Let's see if we can get a second rounder. Or something yeah. like that. Just, just something mild. Um, and so I think it kind of depends on... They still have time to decide. Like You don't have to decide a month out if you're going to be a buyer or seller. So so I think it kind of depends on how things progress over these next two and a half weeks or so. And then I think we'll get a better, better feel for what they're going to be 
as, you know, we're a week and a half out or something like that. Yeah. Hashtag free bonga. <laughs> which is which is a legitimate part of Wizards Twitter. Oh, I know. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm all aboard the free bonga train. And obviously, regardless they, of a trade defensive analytics, man, they're amazing. They are. It's unbelievable. Regardless of a trade, obviously the thing that is going to be one of the major determinants of whether the Wizards are good enough to consider making a big trade would be the play of someone like Russell Westbrook, who early in the season and arguably up until the past week, things weren't really going that well for us. During this four-game road trip, however, he seemingly has turned things around. He averaged 24 points, 11 rebounds, 10.5 assists, which isn't that abnormal for him, but he shot 51% from the field and only took one and a half threes per game. Watching these games the past week, I felt like I was watching a much different version of Russ from the start of the season. What have you seen in the past week from Russ, and is there hope that this is sustainable? So I'm grabbing my phone right now because I'm trying to find what Russell Westbrook said to me when I asked him about his shot selection. I was going to say, like, <laughs> this is not only on-court. This is off-court production that has returned to normal. <laughs> <laughs> so so as as you all know, Russell really embraces, you know, X knows questions. You ask him that stuff and he'll give you like two minute answers, just detailed diving, <laughs> diving into yeah. it. So, sure. you know, I, I, I asked him, you know, he's just taking way fewer threes, way more shots at the rim. And he had the quad injury earlier in the year. And, and he had talked about the quad injury and, and mentioned it as something that was really bothering him. And he is definitely, all jokes aside, he is not one to make excuses. I mean, he does the opposite. If he's hurt, he doesn't really tell people. He doesn't like to talk about it. He wants to go out and play. So when he talks about an injury, it's knowing him, it's probably worse than what he says it is. And and by the way, the 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 way he's playing right now backs that up, right? As he's gotten healthier. Well, I asked him about taking way fewer threes, way more shots at the rim, getting another rim more. And he just responded, well, I can move and jump now. So there you go. All right. That's <laughs> and, some good and, insight and from so, Russ. So I guess I could just quote him back to you and say, <laughs> well, he can move and jump now. So there you go. I would love a Russell Westbrook podcast. <laughs> It'd be great. I asked him a question the other day, and he literally did not budge. And there was a 10 second silence on the zone <laughs> until I just said, okay, thanks Russ. And it was a follow-up question. He did answer the first one. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, he doesn't like follow-ups though. No. And that's something that I should know better on because I yeah, covered him yeah you knew that. Okay. See, he does not. He does, and part of me was wanting to give them the benefit of the doubt because I saw the video because he is sitting there looking at his phone. And then when you said thanks, he kind of like, like <laughs> jerk a little bit like, oh, OK, like I'm what am I doing here? Uh, so I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. But then I did remember that he just doesn't do follow ups. Yeah. And so I was like, OK, yeah, that's, that's it was actually fault. impressive because when someone talks to me, even if I don't want to talk to them, like I, I re like it's a reflex. I react, you know. Yeah. Like I just even my head will just just slightly twitch and <laughs> he, he had no reaction. Nothing. <laughs> well, I I think he does look healthier and I think the way he's getting to the rim is different too. So early in the year there were so many games. I mean, I I want to say it was one of the games they played two consecutive games against the Bulls. 
I know in the Bulls game, he barely got to the rim. I think these were the numbers in one of the games. He took 17 shots. It was sometime around then, around New Year's, so like a week or two into the season. He took 17 shots in a game, and 15 of them were jumpers. Hmm. And when I was talking to people early in the year, like really early in the year, before the the narrative of Russell doesn't look the same at all started to pick up a little bit, and I would talk to people around the league even, and these are smart basketball people, and I'd say, like, Russ is just taking way too many jumpers. And the classic response you get when you say that is, well, that's what you get with Russell Westbrook. And I was like, no, like, yeah, this no, is no. not it. What you get with Russell Westbrook is some bad shots every once in a while, some pull-up threes every once in a while. And they happen a lot because he takes a lot of shots, but they are every once in a while. Like, that dude still is amongst the league leaders in attempts at the rim amongst guards every single year, mm-hmm. period. And last year, like 41% of his shots, I think, were at the rim, which is a very high number. It's a really good number. Uh, this year, there was a point where he was at a third of that. Only like 14% of his shots are at the rim. Now he's up Sheesh. into the 20s, which shows how much it's changed. I I, I think over this stretch, I'm going to go back and look at the numbers, actually. I... Uh, you know, I make sure specifically not to prep before your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to go and look at the numbers, but I bet you the numbers over this streak are very similar. I He has taken an outrageous number of shots in the paint. That Lakers game on Monday, 25 shots, 19 of them were in the paint. Yeah. I mean, he is just getting to the rim. He's doing it in transition, which he wasn't. He's actually dunking every once in a while now, which he mm-hmm. like almost literally wasn't. He had one dunk in the first like, 15 games of the year and it was a wide open fast break dunk where he like barely got over the rim uh he just he looks he doesn't look like 2015 russ in terms of explosion explosion and athleticism but he looks like you know he, he looks like he did in houston last year i would yeah. say and he's he's doing here's the thing he's 51 percent. many of those misses aren't bad misses now they're just kind of he's missing a lot of layups which is not great but Look, if if you told tell me that Russ can just take a ton of layups, it's like that's fine. That's still better than a jump shot for most people. It's still a layup. So so it's 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 been good. He's he's been good these last two weeks. He's been really good. Really, it, it was exciting. Uh, I think it was last night's game. They're starting to run more plays where it looks like last year's Houston Rockets team, where Russ is playing off ball. He catches it beyond the three point line and is immediately going to the rim. And there's enough space on the floor where he's actually able to do that. And we saw last year, when you do that for this version of Russ, things can get really efficient really fast. You you really are becoming a Wizards fan because that's my story for tomorrow. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, the catch and goes. The catch and goes are the catch and goes have been so effective. Yeah, I even talked to Beal about it. And Beal mentioned this kind of interesting concept, which I think was a, a really good point, which is that Russ is You know, he's obviously not a floor spacer and guys don't guard him when he's off the ball. Now, they just sag off of him to differing degrees, depending on the, you know, the team's game plan and depending on who's guarding him and stuff. But he's the his catch and go ability is kind of his spacing ability where you still have to worry about that. And he's he's almost the vertical spacer now. So when he mm-hmm. is able to catch and go, 
Beal runs a pick and roll on one side of the court and Russell's on the weak side. They trap Beal and Beal just swings it to Russ and Russ is just able to take right off. Uh, it's such a it's such a difference. And I asked Scott Brooks about it, too. And, and Scott Brooks said that he told Westbrook, when you do something pretty good, do it every once in a while. When you do something great, do it all the time. And I think there's been an effort from Brooks. I shouldn't say I think because I've spoken to other people. I know there's been an effort from Brooks who and he and Russ still have this tremendously close relationship. I know there's there's been an effort from Brooks to kind of just bog down the jump shots and say, just keep going at the rim. You are, you kill it when you go at the rim. And even Bradley Beal said like, we are at our best when he's constantly attacking and he has been constantly attacking during the streak constantly. Even the, sh- the games where he doesn't shoot as well, it changes the offense when he's constantly attacking. And, uh, it's, it's very helpful. And I'm with you. Those, the, that, those catch and goes, that's something that, that he was really successful with in Houston. That's something that uh, Beal and John Wall used to do a little bit when they were together. But I think it's I think Westbrook is is even better with that aspect than Wall was like four years ago. Uh, it's yeah. it's uh, I just think he's he's more Wall is more of a like a pull it out and run the offense guy. And uh, I think with Beal being so much more competent now as a as a ball handler and facilitator too, makes things a lot easier in terms of you know Westbrook you know being able to drive and and the defense paying so much more attention to another guy in the court. So I'm with you. It's been really big. Well, thank you for answering some of our questions. It is now time for some trivia. Welcome to the soon to be hottest game show in NBA podcasting. Andrew versus the Beat, and that is not Hashim. Andrew versus the Beat is a trivia show where each week Andrew will go head to head with a beat writer to answer trivia questions about the team that was chosen by the Wheel of Fandom. Now, I can already hear some listeners out there saying, now hold on a second, how is Andrew ever going to outwit a beat writer? It's almost as if this entire segment was created so that Andrew would lose and be embarrassed every week and made a fool of. To which I would respond, you are absolutely correct. This is also a great opportunity for the beat writers. If they win, everyone knows they're smarter than someone who doesn't follow the team. And if they lose, the downside is bottomless. A fun game for everyone involved. (laughs) Now, our first contestant on Andrew versus the Beat is Washington Wizards beat reporter Fred Katz. Fred, thank you for joining us today. Are you ready to test your Wizards knowledge? I have never been so ready in my entire life. I, I'm I'm certain Andrew's going to beat me, and I'm never going to live it down. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, here are the rules. I've come up with 10 trivia questions about the Washington Wizards. These can be about Wizards history, current Wizards, former Wizards. We'll start with Fred, who will pick a number between 1 and 10. That number will correspond to a question. Some questions are very easy. Others are devilishly hard. You won't know which you're going to get. A correct answer is worth two points. If you get the question wrong, the other person can steal for one point. After we finish the first question, Andrew will choose a number and we'll go back and forth until all the questions have been answered. Are there any questions before we get started? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, Fred, please pick a number between one and 10. I'm going to go three. Question number three. While some people might want to forget Michael Jordan's time with the Wizards, He did actually have a pretty good season. In the 2001-2002 season, MJ's first with the Wizards, he was one of only six players in the league to average 25-5. and 
Name three other players to average 25 and five that season. Oh, geez. And you'll have to give me all three names. Okay. So uh, I'll say Tracy McGrady. And I'm not going to tell you right. Yes or no until you. Answer okay. All. I'll say Tracy McGrady. I'll say Kobe. 2001-2002, Iverson wouldn't have had it on rebounds. Uh, and I'm going to say Gary Payton. Oh, that was incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. You have to give me the three players who also averaged 25-5 and five that season. There are five total. You just have to give me three okay. of them. McGrady, Kobe, and Jason Kidd. Oh, that is also incorrect. Zero for both of you. You both nailed Kobe and Tracy McGrady. The other names, KG, Steve Uh Francis, and Antoine Walker. Antoine Walker. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Okay, so, Andrew, I need a number between one and ten. One. Question number one. The Washington Wizards franchise has been a part of the NBA since 1961. Back then, they weren't called the Wizards. They weren't even called the Bullets. They weren't even located in Washington, D.C. What was the original name of the franchise which became the Washington Wizards? Oh, my word. I don't know. Okay, Fred, you have a chance to steal. All right. I'm trying to remember if they were the Packers or the Zephyrs first. I, mm. I think they were the Chicago Packers for one year, and then they became the Chicago Zephyrs. Fred, that is absolutely correct. They were the Chicago <laughs> Packers. Isn't that crazy? Wow. They named their team after their city's biggest football rival and had to change it within a year due to fan backlash to that name. And then they named it after a slight wind gust. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> one, one story that I would love to do if the world were normal and I was just around players is I would love to walk up to Robin Lopez and just ask him to break down what he thinks of the Zephyrs. Yeah. <laughs> and just have a conversation with Robin Lopez about Zephyrs as a mascot because it's just a slight gust. That's all it is. It's not it's yep. not the tornadoes. The Zephyrus would get destroyed by the tornadoes. By the my imagine the Zephyrs going up against the Miami Hurricanes. They just get rocked. A Zephyr a Zephyr is pleasant. I, people, I agree with people you. People yearn for Zephyrs. They're both terrible names. Okay, Fred, you're now leading one point to zero. Choose a number between one and ten. Uh eight. All right, question number eight. This former Wizards player is the only player in NBA history to finish their career with more blocks than points scored. Mm. Former Wizards player. Uh, Manute Bull. That is correct for two points. Fred is now in the lead, three to zero. All right. Oh, no. Andrew, it's time to catch up. Pick a number between one Uh, and ten. Uh, Ten. All right, question number 10. After signing with the Wizards, which he decided by flipping a coin, Gilbert Arenas became one of the better-known personalities in the league. There are many stories about Agent Zero, including that he kept this type of exotic animal in his mansion, which cost him $80,000 per year to take care of. Name the animal. 
boy. <laughs> I don't know that I know this either. Oh, no, Andrew. Oh, I, I feel like it's some kind of sea creature. Oh, interesting. Um, oh, boy. I'll say it's some kind of shark. I don't know. Andrew, that is absolutely correct. It is a shark. Andrew. Wow. wow. <laughs> Amazing. That that being said, if w- wouldn't it be great if the answer was just like he had a dog? <laughs> the most expensive <laughs> dog in the world. Yeah. He had like an unbelievably expensive golden retriever. <laughs> wow. We have a game on our hands now. Andrew's only down two to three. It is Fred's okay. turn to pick a number, though. Uh, four. Question number four. Which current Wizards player has the best three-point percentage this season with a minimum of three attempts per game? A minimum of three attempts per game. So, I mean, well, can I ask a follow-up question? I suppose. Well, I don't know if Thomas <laughs> Bryant. Fred thing ever. I don't know if Thomas Bryant is <laughs> eligible because he's only played like 10 games. Uh, okay, I will say active Wizards players. Okay, okay. Um, is Garrison Matthews taking three a game? He's got he's got to be taking three a game. It's got to be Garrison Matthews. That is absolutely correct. Garrison yeah. Matthews is taking three point seven attempts per game, thirty nine point five percent. That's another two points for Fred. He's up five to two. All right, Andrew, what number would you like? Uh, let's go five. Five. Ooh, this is a favorite of mine. When Washington changed the name of the team from the Bullets to the Wizards in 1995, there were four other names that were strongly considered. Which of the following was not one of the final five name choices? Sea Dogs, Express, Stars, Stallions, or Dragons? I'll say Express. Express, that is incorrect. Fred, you have a chance to steal for one point. Which Man, of these was have... not one of the choices? Sea Dogs, Express, Stars, Stallions, or Dragons? You know, I have absolutely no idea, but you just gave me a great story idea. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, a retrospective of why the, why the hell the Wizards aren't named the Stallions is <laughs> tremendous. I, I, I feel like the most ridiculous one is the Stallions, and that doesn't really have anything to do with DC, nor do mm. any of the other things, including Wizards, by the way. Uh, but I'll say the Stallions. All right. Well, I successfully tricked you because perhaps the most realistic name, the Stars, was the one I threw in there. All the rest <laughs> were true. Wow. wow. All right, Fred. Dogs. I have to write this story now. I have to find <laughs> out how the hell they came up with that. It's a very Fred story. Okay, no. we have four questions left. Fred, it is your choice. Nine. Question number nine. In December 2018, a nearly completed trade involving the Wizards fell through after miscommunication over which of these two players would be included in the deal. Name both players. Dylan and Marshawn Brooks. That is absolutely correct. One of the most ridiculous nights of my professional career. (laughs) You were not Scott Brooks, by the way. You were a Wizards reporter at that point, right? Uh huh. Oh yeah, it was absolutely ridiculous. You had you had like everyone's trying to figure out what the hell happened. Who who messed this up? Uh, Every single person is saying, "I didn't mess it up." (laughs) And if everybody was correct, 
then the proper Brooks would have been going in the deal. Uh, <laughs> it was, it, it was, it was incredible. It was, it was so unbelievably weird. I remember they played the Nets that night and we literally interviewed Austin Rivers about being traded. And, <laughs> and then they were like, oh, it's not happening because there's confusion over which Brooks it is. It's unbelievable. It was a great That's, moment in Wizards history. So it, Andrew, it, it was honestly, it was it, that was that was their title. That was it. <laughs> Andrew, you uh, have to run go, the table at this point. What number would you like? Okay, let's go seven. Question number seven: With All Star Weekend coming up next week, who is the only Wizard to have ever won the three point contest, which they won in nineteen ninety six? Boy, Andrew, I thought you were a Wizards fan. That's what oh, we told the no. folks <laughs> in 96. I don't know. I have no idea. All right, Fred, Fred, you have a chance to steal. I feel like this is something I should know. 96, I agree. 96 was the year Brent Barry won the dunk contest. Okay. So you do remember, but you do remember, but that year. wasn't your question. That is so correct. That's Not really unhelpful. Totally unhelpful information. Uh, 96 was, also the year Bill Clinton was elected for a second term. Uh, just go through everything you remember. You'll eventually get I'm this. just trying to remember 1996. <laughs> uh, I was in kindergarten. Um, I, I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't Ooh, know. You guys are going like to feel bad about this one. He is a current ESPN personality. Tim Legler. Oh, oh Legler. legs. Legs. All right. We have two questions left. Fred, can you see the two? It's it's number two or number six? Let's go two. All right, question number two. As a rookie, Wizards Hall of Famer Wes Unseld became the second player in NBA history to win both the Rookie of the Year and the MVP awards in the same season. Who was the first player to achieve this? Um, Walt Bellamy? That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. Wilt? Andrew, that is correct. Wilt Chamberlain. All right, you know, Andrew. You, you know, you know what? Walt Bellamy was a terrible guess. <laughs> that was I, a shocking guess. You know why? Because Walt 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 Bellamy won the uh, scoring title as a rookie. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I could not have said that name today outside of hearing it out of your mouth. You know what? <laughs> I'm hearing stuff and I'm thinking like, well, it's got to be Wizards trivia. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. It, yeah. I do kind of so trick you. So it's got to be former former Chicago Packers great Walt right. Bellamy. <laughs> so Andrew, it's gotta you, be it. you can't win because you were down seven to three, but you can save some face. This is the final question. Since okay. 1979, only one wizard has made an all defensive first team. This player averaged a league leading 2.9 steals per game during this season. Who is the player? You didn't give me a year. That is correct. That? I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I give you a forty-year span to choose from. <laughs> uh, Larry Hughes. Andrew, that is correct. Wow. Larry Hughes. Oh. Larry, Larry Hughes, who is now who is now our competition. That is right. I found that out Wizards as I was doing podcaster. research. Yeah, he is a Wizards <laughs> podcaster, and he's good. He's a Wizards podcaster. That's awesome. Wow. So it's that brings great. us to the end. It's great. Of the first edition of Andrew versus the Beat, 
Andrew loses this one seven to five, but really put up a good fight. So congratulations to you both. In in reality, we're all just trying to be better than Walt Bellamy. All right. Well, thanks so much to Fred Katz for joining us. But it is now time to choose the team that we and Andrew will become super fans of next week. Up on my screen, I have the Wheel of Fandom. Again, digital now will be physical in the future. I have 29 teams on there because obviously we don't want to pick the Wizards again. I'm going to click this button that says spin, Andrew, and it will decide our fate for the next week. So scared. Nervous. All right, Straight here we nervous. go. Spinning the wheel. Here it goes. Who's it going to land on? Which NBA team will be the wheel of fandom? It will be... Oh my gosh, the Pelicans! See, I love this. That's awesome. I love this pick. I, I'm I honestly, totally in on this pick. if we could have picked our team last week, I would have picked the Pelicans because I just have been wanting to watch more Zion. So this is perfect. This is amazing. And we'll, okay. we'll put up the video so you can see we're not cheating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go check out the video. We'll have it on probably both of our Twitter accounts and I'll put it on the athletic NBA Twitter account as well. So, uh, go check out the wheel. Uh, Alex, let's talk most interesting mashups of this next week. So is there a matchup that you look ahead and think, Oh my gosh, we have to watch this game. Well, next Wednesday night, just as a whole, there are a ton of great matchups, but I think yep. the highlight of the week has to be the Utah Jazz at the Philadelphia 76ers. Next Wednesday, no March doubt. 3rd, right before the All-Star break, Utah, hottest team in the league. Philly's number one in the, in the East. Those are, those are the two number one teams. Yeah, it, obviously, it's the greatest matchup of the week. But we also have like Golden State at Portland, Dame versus Steph. There's some good rookie matchups. So I think it's going to be a fun week. Yeah. I would have picked that one, but now I'm forced to pick another one and I'm going to choose, I'm going to pick Golden State Portland. I think the Dame versus Steph matchup is highly intriguing because that's exactly what it is. In the past, we really haven't had this before. And now it's directly which one of these guys plays better. And it's great. I think that should be exciting. And they're both carrying like rosters that we're not thrilled with right now for various reasons. So a lot is on their shoulders. So yeah, that's going to be an awesome matchup as well. That's great. Uh, thanks so much for listening to our first ever Saturday Slam and Jam show. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure that you follow Alex on Twitter at AlBabyCakes. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew K. Schlecht. Make sure that you go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $3.99 a month. You can go read all of Fred's stuff. Uh, which is fantastic. Go read the Pelican stuff in preparation for next week. Will Gilroy is a great writer, so make sure that you read him as well. Hope you guys have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you guys again with Basketball Buds on Monday.